Bante Punaji is a humble and unassuming Buddhist monk, unquestionably an intellectual giant of modern times, and perhaps one of the foremost among today's world authorities on Buddhism. He obtained his training in meditation at the island Hermitage, Dondandua. He studied modern science and Western medicine in Sri Lanka, and obtained two doctorates while in United States, one in Western psychology and another in Western philosophy and comparative religion. So he's our physical teacher, mental teacher, and also a spiritual teacher. He will be the most appropriate person to talk to us tonight on this topic, karma and rebirth. Why is it always misunderstood in Buddhism? Can we warmly welcome Bhante Punaji? Sadhu. Well, the topic today uh, is about about karma and rebirth, but uh, today most Buddhists think that karma and rebirth is an essential dogma of Buddhism. Do you know what uh, dogma is? Huh? It's just a belief that if you don't believe in that, you're not a Buddhist. That is how people think. What I am trying to tell you is, that is not true. Karma and rebirth is something that was already there when uh, the Buddha was born into the world. So the Buddha did not come to the world to talk about karma and rebirth. He came to talk about something else. That is very important to understand. There is a sutra uh, in what is called the Majjhimanikaya, today translated as the Middle End Sayings. It's called the Sabbasava Sutra. And there, just at the beginning of the Sutra, the Buddha points out that normal people, they always talk about, say something like this, did I exist in the past? How did I exist in the past? Will I exist in the future? How will I exist in the future? Am I existing now? How am I existing now? These are common questions that people ask. And the Buddha says, if a person begins to think like that, that person will come to the conclusion that there is a self here or that there is no self here or some other thing about the self and ultimately that person will never be free of suffering in the world. And then he says, 
the disciple of the Buddha doesn't think like that. The disciple of the Buddha thinks, what is this thing called suffering? What is the cause of suffering? What is the end of suffering? What is the way to the end of suffering? And if he begins to think in that way, that person will ultimately be able to bring all suffering to an end. You see, that means what the person was thinking about at first was about karma and rebirth. And if we begin to think in terms of karma and rebirth, we'll never be able to gain freedom from suffering. This is the important thing that uh, we have to understand. So the main uh, topic of the Buddha was to talk about what is called suffering. What is suffering? We are simply organisms in an environment. So I don't uh, want to go into very uh, deep philosophy so I'm trying to make it as uh, simple as possible so that you'll be able to understand what I'm saying. We normally think that we have a body and a mind. And some religions, they talk about another thing called a soul. They speak about three things, the body, mind, and the soul. People in the West always think in terms of these three things, the body, mind, and the soul. And uh, there is a subject called psychology. You have heard about this word, psychology. That word comes from the word psych or psycho or that psych refers to the soul. So psychology is the study of the soul. So they tried to study the soul but they couldn't find the soul. So if they can't find the soul, how can they study the soul? So ultimately they started saying psychology is, is the study of human behavior because they could only get told of human behavior. They couldn't find a soul to study. So they defined the word psychology as the study of human behavior. But when they spoke about this thing called soul, they were also referring to this thing called the mind. So the problem was 
they couldn't find the mind also because they could see only this thing that we see as the body so they saw only the body because they tried to study the mind they couldn't find the mind so what really happened was there was a time in the history of western philosophy a period called the age of enlightenment that was the 18th century that was the century when these uh, scientists began like isaac newton galileo and various other kinds of scientists came up at that time and they began to discover a very important law a natural law and that natural law was called determinism that law was called determinism and all modern scientific discoveries inventions and everything is based on this natural law called determinism and what is found in that natural law is simply that everything that happens in the world all the natural phenomena everything whatever happens like earthquakes or thunder or lightning or uh, everything that happens in the world happens only due to the presence of the necessary conditions when the necessary conditions are present it happens nothing happens without the necessary conditions what that means is in ancient times people thought when there was lightning oh god is angry or something like that this was done by a god or a devil when there was an earthquake a tornado or hurricane always god is doing this or a devil is doing this that's what they thought but with the coming of this natural law they began to understand that whatever happens in the world it happens only when the necessary conditions are there so that it is not done by a god or a devil when people began at least the educated people began to understand this they lost faith in the religious dogmas that said this world was created by a god or there are these supernatural beings who control the world that everything that happens in the world is due to the activities of these supernatural beings because they were worshiping the supernatural beings the people the supernatural beings who are good were called the gods and those who are bad they were called the devils so that kind of belief was challenged 
by the discovery of this natural law called determinism. So this is why that age where this science began, that was called the age of enlightenment. That was the time when people began to understand how things happen in the world. Hmm? But that was in the West. It is the European people who began to think in this way. But long before that, more than 2,500 years before that, it was the Buddha who brought this same message to the world. He called it, he didn't call it the law of determinism, but he had a different name. And that is what is called the Paticca Samuppada, today translated as dependent origination. And when that, this message was brought by the Buddha to the world, people who understood that lost faith in the religious dogmas in India. Because even in India, people thought the world was created by gods. Today, in the Hindu philosophy or the Hindu religion, there are three kinds of gods, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Now, according to their beliefs, Brahma was the creator of the world, and Vishnu is the protector or preserver of the world, and Shiva is the destroyer of the world. But when these teachings of the Buddha came in, they gave up those beliefs. And they began to understand that everything that happened in the world happened only due to the presence of the necessary conditions. So it is very important to understand that the most important teaching of the Buddha is this law of determinism on which modern science is based and also the teachings of the Buddha is based. Our question might arise, well, if the Buddha knew this law of determinism, why didn't the Buddha teach us how to create the electric bulb, the fan, the air conditioning? Why didn't the Buddha teach us how to uh, make a motor vehicle? Why didn't the Buddha teach us how to make the computer? And all that. That's a good question. The Buddha, he had a lot of psychic powers, but he needn't teach people how to get these psychic powers. 
There is a story where a person came one day to the Buddha and said, You have great powers. I know that. And you only have to make a wish. And if you can make the wish that this big mountain called uh, Mahameru, that is the, the tallest mountain in India, the, what is today called the Mount Everest, huh? you only have to make the wish, may this great mountain become a mountain of gold. It will become a mountain of gold. Please, out of compassion for the world, out of compassion for these human beings who are suffering, please make that wish. So the Buddha says, you are right, I do have that power. Supposing I make that wish and this mountain becomes a mountain of gold, do you know how many people will die as a result of this? They will come and fight to get that mountain of gold. This is why I don't make that wish. And you may have heard that even in the United States, there was a thing called the gold rush, where somewhere in California, they had gold, and people rushed to get this gold, and they, so many wars and so many people were killed as a result. You see, what did the Buddha do? You see, we are having, every person is having a problem. That is what the Buddha saw. What is that problem? We are all born with a body. And in this body, there are five senses. The eye, the ears, the nose, the tongue, and the whole body becomes a sense organ, the sense of touch. And through these five senses, we begin to experience three kinds of sensations. A pleasant sensation, unpleasant sensation, and a neutral sensation. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Whether it is the eye, or whether it is the ear, whether it is the nose, or tongue, or even the body. We have only these three sensations. And what happens when there is a pleasant sensation, a desire arises for the pleasant sensation. When there is an unpleasant sensation, a hatred arises for the unpleasant sensation. Neutral sensation doesn't produce desires and hatreds. It only produces the feeling that there is something, that is all. The problem is, when the desire arises, 
what happens? We don't always get what we desire. With the hatred arises, we cannot always get rid of what we hate. Then what happens? We become unhappy as a result. All our unhappiness is because we cannot get what we desire or we cannot get rid of what we hate. That is our problem. We are carried away by emotions. And once we are carried away by emotions, we cannot even stop it. When we become angry, we find it difficult to get rid of the anger. We don't even want to get rid of the anger. What we want to do is to take revenge on some person. When a desire arises, what we want to do is to get what we desire. So we are suffering all the time because we are born with a body and these five senses. Hmm? This is a problem. And uh, what we are trying to do is to, our whole life is an effort to satisfy these desires and hatreds. That is our whole life. And it is to do this that today people have found a method. That is, at the beginning, it came in the form of exchange. Exchange means you try to get the help of other people. Huh? Now the thing is, uh, different people begin to have different abilities. One person may be a good uh, carpenter, can work with wood, and maybe can make a table or a chair or a, uh, maybe even make a house or whatever, that kind of thing. Another person may be a good uh, planter, can plant seeds and grow trees and grow various things. Or another person may be a good kind of a hunter, maybe trying to kill animals and maybe to make them food and various kinds of things. So different people have different abilities. So I may be having one ability, but you may be having another ability. So we begin to exchange. So I, I can make uh, uh, tables and chairs, you can grow vegetables or uh, things like that, and I can go and tell you, I will make some chairs for you. You gave me some uh, vegetables. So it's an exchange. So at first people started trying to exchange, but they found an, another easy method because every time I go to get vegetables from another person, they don't need my chairs or tables, so how can I <laughs> exchange? So they found this thing called money. So money was a medium of exchange. And so today people try to earn money. 
So that is how, but for, to get money, you have to give your services to get the money. And that is what we call doing a job. So use the medium of exchange means we begin to do jobs. So this is why every person has to wake up early morning and go and do jobs to earn money so that you can find your food, clothing, shelter, medicine and all kinds of things that we need. So life is a thing like that. So you see, but with all that, we also have to grow old, fall sick and die. We don't like to grow old. We don't like to fall sick and we don't like to die. But still we have to go through these things. You see, that is what the Buddha saw, that we are having these desires and hatreds and all the uh, desire to keep on living and we want to satisfy these desires but we can't satisfy the desires. This is the problem. So people thought the people especially in the West they made use of this law of determinism for what purpose? to conquer the world so that you can satisfy your desires. Using this law of determinism to change the world. By changing the world, you can satisfy your desires. So today you find the world has changed a lot due to all these scientific inventions, technology, all that has means they have made cars and vehicles of all kinds, machines of all kinds. Have people become happy as a result? People are still unhappy. They are still crying. They are still fighting. Crime has never ended. It has become even more uh, fearful crimes. and. The wars have never ended, terrorism has never ended. So with all this scientific technology, what has happened? We are in fear that if there is a nuclear war, the world will be finished. That way, the problem was not solved at all. The problem has become even worse. This is why the Buddha used this same law to solve the problem, not by conquering the world, but by conquering your own mind. He used this same law of determinism to learn how to change your mind, how to get rid of these emotions. It is by getting rid of the emotions that the problem can be solved. Not by trying to satisfy or gratify the emotions. And that is why today people are talking about a thing called meditation. Why do people want to meditate? Meditation is learning how to gain control over the mind.
You see, what the Buddha discovered was, when we talk about the mind, there is no such thing as the mind. And that is what the modern psychologists found, you see. You see, the psychologists are now aware of this, but they don't know how to, how to solve the problem. That's the main thing. That we have, the Buddha used three words to refer to what we call the mind. Although there is no such thing as a mind, what we call the mind simply is three activities of the body. Three activities of the body. And there are many activities in this body that is going on all the time. Huh? You know, at least one activity you know, that is called breathing. That is an activity that is going on all the time. Whether you are conscious of it or not, you are breathing all the time. That is simply one activity. Another activity that you know about is the heart beating. Till you die, it will keep on beating, you see. And then there are other activities like you take food and the food is digested. So many other activities. It is only when you begin to study these things that you begin to understand how many activities are going on inside this body. You don't even know about it. Whenever there is something wrong in the body, you have to go to the doctor because the doctor is supposed to know what is going on in that body. You see? So the important thing is there are many activities going on in the body, but what we call the mind are three main activities. There is what is called the nervous system. And these are three activities in this nervous system that we call the mind. The Buddha used three words to refer to these activities. One activity is the activity of the senses, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue and the body. The activity of the eye is what we call seeing. The activity of the ear is what we call hearing. Activity of the nose is what we call smelling. The activity of the tongue is what we call tasting. And the activity of the body, what we call touching or feeling the touch. Hmm? So these activities have a common name that we use in English. It is called perception. Seeing is perception. Hearing is perception. Smelling is perception. Tasting is perception. Touching is also perception. So perception, the Buddha used the word vinyana. That is a Pali word that the Buddha used. Vinyana means perception. Today, of course, People translate that word as consciousness. That, I think, is a wrong translation. Vijnana is not consciousness. Vijnana is perception. 
that is the eye perception is called chakku vinyana eye is called chakku ear perception is called sota vinyana nose perception is called gana vinyana tongue perception is called jiva vinyana body perception is called kaya vinyana so the word vinyana is perception not consciousness how some people came and asked the buddha we have these five kinds of perception vinyana they are all different that means when i look with the eye what i see is very different from what i hear with the ear the sounds different from the sights and the smell coming from the nose is different taste coming from the tongue is different and the touch is also different where do all these things meet that was the question so the buddha said mano that is where everything meets so if we ask today the scientists know about these things so if you ask uh, someone who knows about the body like a doctor or someone they will tell you that there is there are what are called nerves like telephone wires going from the eye to the brain another telephone wire going from the ear to the brain another one going from the nose to the brain so these are called nerves so these nerves carry the messages from the eye ears nose tongue and the body to the brain and the brain begins to think and give meaning to what we see hear smell taste touch that is the thinking part so there is a special part of the brain that does the thinking it is called the cerebrum or the cerebral cortex or the neocortex and all these different names they give to this thinking part of the brain and that thinking part of the brain is what the buddha called mano now the buddha gave a name for that is called mano and then buddha also pointed out that according to the meaning that you give to what you saw or what you heard or what you smelt an emotion is aroused in the form of a desire or a hatred or a fear or a worry these are emotions now that emotional part is what we normally call the mood and the mood depends on the way we the meaning we give to what we see here smell taste that means the circumstances whatever is happening in the outside world we call the circumstance and the meaning we give to the circumstance is what starts the emotion and when the emotion is started that leads to the expression of the emotion 
and the expression of the emotion can come in the form of speech or action. And that expression of the emotion is what we call karma. When we say karma, we are talking about the speech or the action that comes from the emotional excitement. When the emotion is aroused, the human being has an ability that some animals don't have. You see, if there is a dog here and a stranger comes here, what does the dog do? Begins to bark. Huh? Why? It cannot stop that. But the human being, when a stranger comes, the human being doesn't try to take the gun or something like that. The, he doesn't try to bark. The human being has this ability, even if you are angry, you can stop expressing the anger in speech or action. That is one important thing that the human being has, this ability not to act. It is that ability that we use to call what we call sealer. You know what sealer is? Now today, at the beginning, you recited what are called the five precepts. What is the meaning of the five precepts? That is, to practice the five precepts is what is called sealer. And sealer means that you are able, even if you are angry, you can stop speaking angry words, or you can stop going to fight or quarrel. But how many of you really practice the five precepts? I know you recite the five precepts. <laughs> Why is this? You call yourself Buddhist and you recite the five precepts. But how many practice the five precepts? This is because, you see, you have two minds. One is the thinking part, which is with the Buddha called Mano. And the other is that emotional part which I call the mood, that is called Chitta. So there are these three things, the Chitta, Mano and Vijnana. Vijnana is that perception. When we recite the five precepts, it is the thinking part that recites the five precepts. Who breaks the five precepts? It is that emotional part that breaks the five precepts. Huh? So that means the emotional part and the thinking part are not working together. So this is why the Buddha spoke about meditation. Meditation is where you begin to become conscious all the time. Because the emotional thing happens unconsciously. Your action is unconscious. If you become angry, you begin to act angrily. That is done unconsciously. You don't even think about it. So this is why it is very important to be conscious of every thought you think 
every word you speak and every action you perform it is only when you are conscious of it that you can stop that action the wrong behavior now most religions they talk about not doing the bad things and you should do good every religion says that but buddhism the teaching of the buddha is the only religion that talks about how to practice that sila the only way to do it is to be conscious of the thoughts you think and the actions you perform and that is the meaning of meditation some people think meditation is concentrating on a candle flame or concentrating on the breath or something that is not what meditation is meditation is becoming aware of the thoughts you think to become aware of the words you speak to become aware of the actions you perform not to act unconsciously most of the time we act unconsciously we are carried away by habits from childhood we have cultivated habits and it is just automatically happening we don't even think about it so this is why it is so important to be conscious of what we do and we have this ability to act consciously instead of unconsciously the animals find it difficult to do that but the human being is able to do it but how many human beings do it this is the problem so that human ability must be cultivated and then only there'll be peace and happiness in the world the peace and happiness can be got only by practicing the teachings of the buddha this is the important thing to understand so we don't have to be believing in karma and rebirth karma and rebirth if we if we practiced these things because we are frightened we go to hell or we want to go to heaven that is like small children you see that is not what we have to do we have to think other people are also harmed we are harming ourselves as well as other people not because uh, we go to heaven or go to hell that is not the important thing we must think of our responsibilities our actions what are the consequences of our actions that is the important thing in buddhism all other religions talk about god punishing and devils punishing or something that is not the important thing here the important thing is your life itself is damaged by being carried away by emotions and we have to stop this then only you will be happy so to be happy we have to learn to gain control over the emotions this is the most important thing not to be carried away by emotions this is what 
the modern psychologists are aware of now and uh, so i think uh, we have discussed enough for the day huh so if you <laughs> if you have any questions to ask you can ask now and uh, we can talk about it uh, any any question for bante any question for bante Maybe you need time to think, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can keep the questions for the next time, huh? One thing. Uh, the first question uh, is because we always wonder whether this rebirth thing is it immediate or is it uh, it comes later part or is immediately after a person dies. Well, well, I didn't understand what your question was. The usually we. We have problem of understanding this rebirth. We are wondering if a person die, is it reborn immediately or after a few days or how is it? Well, that is not important at all. <laughs> And uh, according to the teachings of the Buddha, the rebirth takes place immediately. You see, uh, we have to understand that. Uh, Rebirth is a thing like the radio waves. You see, now if you uh, talk in a radio, it will be received uh, in another radio somewhere else uh, immediately. Even TV is received like that. So rebirth is also working in a similar way. Rebirth is not a something that goes. You see, it's not like sending a letter or something like that. Now, if you post a letter today, it'll be received very much later. But rebirth takes place immediately. And that's how it is. But uh, the important thing is, our life should not be based on this idea of rebirth. Our life should be based not on the idea of rebirth, but on the idea of responsibility for your own life as well as others. That is how we have to think of. Buddhism is not a punishment-reward uh, religion. This idea of punishment and reward is the rebirth way of thinking. Rebirth is not. Punishment and reward, karma and rebirth. Some people think it is a kind of punishment and reward. That is not the important thing. The important thing is responsibility. That is how you should think about these things. Hmm. Pande, if meditation training our mind to look at things neutrally, so that we don't have unpleasant or pleasant reaction to anything. What is the question? If meditation training our mind to look at things neutrally, yeah. so that we don't have any pleasant or unpleasant feeling to anything, then there won't be any suffering. 
Yeah, to keep the mind calm and tranquil. Every, every emotional excitement is a disturbance of the whole body. Today, the people talk about a thing called stress. That stress is simply emotional excitement, nothing else. And that emotional excitement is harmful to the body. And so it can be harmful to the, your own body and it can be harmful to other people also. So this is why we should keep a calm mind. And that calmness of mind is good for your own body and it can be good for everyone. That's the important thing. Hmm? Any other question for Bhante, may, which may or may not related to this uh, topic, uh, karma and rebirth, which are the things that you have, uh, things about Buddhism that you want like to uh, get uh, Bhante Punaji here, because it's not often that uh, we are able to uh, bring here uh, Bhante here. Anything that uh, you would like to ask uh, Bhante, which may or not uh, related to this uh, topic. Brother Lim, any question here? Yeah? I think uh, if there's no questions... Bhante. Bhante. Bhante, I'm one of the Sunday school teachers. We try to teach something during Sunday school. You, you are a Sunday school teacher? Yes. Sometimes I feel that when we are teaching some, some concepts, some ideas, I don't know whether I'm teaching the correct thing or whether I'm teaching the things that I'm supposed to be teaching. Because we don't really have a sort of a syllabus. The syllabus is created by ourselves. So I want to hear what Bhante has to say um, about what are the subjects or concepts that we should be concentrating on teaching the youths and the children as well, of course. What was the question? Okay, okay uh, I ask again, yeah. Bhante. Uh, I have, uh, let's say I have uh, two hours every Sunday, what do you think I should be teaching? What you should teach? Is that your question? Yes, right, sir. Well, it depends on the level. You see, the Sunday school may be having uh, children at different ages or different uh, levels. Uh, I would say that uh, there are four main levels that you should teach. Uh, there are uh, four words that we should use. English, uh, not English words, they are, these are Pali words. Sadda, Sila, Samadhi, Panya. Those are the four levels. Sadda refers to devotion. Now the English word that we can use is the word devotion. 
now devotion is devotional exercises like uh, offering flowers to the buddha or offering various uh, foods or maybe bowing to the buddha uh, dhamma and the sangha and reciting certain uh, things uh, how that kind of thing is devotional practices huh so that devotion really means we are being devoted to certain values in other words this is called a sense of values that children must be taught what are the values of life this is that we must be able to understand what is valuable in life so one important value is what is called being good goodness is a value so when we think of the buddha we think of the buddha as a person who has become good the highest good attained to the highest good so when we think of the buddha we think of one who has become good in every way and then being good is one value another value is happiness we want to be happy so happiness is another value then there is another value and that value is wisdom we want to be wise we don't want to be foolish so these are three values that we should uh, be able to appreciate to be good to be happy and to be wise now uh, being good once we are valuing and uh, we worship what we value now what is the meaning of worship worship means worship worship that means we recognize the worth of something so we worship the buddha means we regard the buddha as of great worth becoming a buddha is a worthy thing and the teaching of the buddha is the dhamma and the dhamma is of great worth then sangha means those who are following the teachings of the buddha and that is also of great worth so we think of the buddha dhamma and the sangha that represents goodness happiness and wisdom now to think of these values that's the devotional part of our practice so mainly the smallest children should be given these values that is the early teachings then from there on we begin to cultivate these values now goodness is cultivated by practicing good behavior good behavior is the starting point where we begin what is called sila 
the five precepts that is being good. It is only when we value goodness that we'll be able to become good. Good behavior comes from the valuing of goodness. If we don't value goodness, then we will not be practicing good behavior. So this is why I say that Buddhism is not uh, uh, done by fear, fear of going to hell or greed of going to heaven. That is not the important thing here, to value goodness. So we want to practice sila not because we want to go to heaven or to avoid hell. That means you are doing it to satisfy other people. We have to find out the value of goodness and only because we appreciate goodness that we begin to practice the good life. That is how it should be. So that is sila. Then, the, when, uh, say, like the teenagers, that is the time when we should talk to them about uh, happiness. Happiness is not stimulating the senses. Normally, People think that is happiness. Stimulating the senses means looking at beautiful things or hearing pleasant music or smelling uh, pleasant perfumes or tasting pleasant food or uh, touching or feeling comfort in the body. That is not happiness. That is called pleasure. Pleasure and happiness are two different things. Pleasure is stimulating the senses. That is what pleasure is all about. But happiness is a state of mind, free from worries, free from fears, free from unhappiness. That is a state of mind. And that comes by purifying the mind, freeing the mind of emotion and calming the mind. That is what happiness is all about. So instead of going after pleasures, we should go after happiness. That is the teaching of the Buddha. So that is another lesson to a higher level, like the teenagers. That is the time when we should teach the teenagers, because the teenagers are the people who begin to seek pleasures. So we have to show them about happiness, not about pleasure. So then, then comes wisdom. It is only when we begin to teach them wisdom that we have to talk to them about the impermanence of all the pleasures in the world. The three characteristics of life, anicca, dukkha, and anatta, that is the wisdom. Anicca is that everything in the world is dependent on condition. That uh, what we call determinism is talking about that everything is dependent on conditions. And whatever is dependent on conditions is unstable. Whatever is dependent on conditions is unstable. 
If I sit on a chair and the legs are broken, then I fall. You see, so whatever is dependent on conditions is not stable. It is like a piece of ice. The ice is dependent on conditions, dependent on the temperature. If the temperature changes, it becomes water. The ice becomes water. So in the same way, whatever is dependent on conditions is unstable, and what is unstable is insecure. That insecurity of life, that every person who is born has to grow old, fall sick, and die. That is the insecurity of life. And what is insecure is not under our power, not as we want. What is not as we want is not under my power. And what is not under my power doesn't belong to me. And what doesn't belong to me is not mine. So what is not mine must be given up, not to become attached to what is not mine. So this body itself, although we think this is my body, this body is not mine because this body is dependent on condition. It begins to grow old, it begins to fall sick, it begins to die. So what is not as I want is not mine. What is not mine is not myself. So this body itself is not mine, not myself. So we have to give up our attachment even to the body. <laughs> so this is how we give up attachment to everything. So that is the wisdom part of it. Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta. So that is for the grown-up children who are now uh, going out, uh, out of the... <laughs> Dhamma school, they should know these things before they go. Huh? So those levels, if you can have, you can even have books written and, and with these three levels, three row, four levels. Huh? Saddha, Sila, Samadhi, Panya. That Samadhi refers to the happiness and Panya is the wisdom. So those are the values of life. Those are the things that should be taught to the children. Uh, Bhante, I got a question on uh, meditations. There are many concepts on meditations now. Yeah. And I got a question on meditations. There are many concepts on meditations. Meditation. Yes, yeah. many concepts of meditations. And it's difficult for a beginner to understand. So what is the easier way for a beginner to understand meditation and to practice it? Well, the beginners, the important thing about meditation is simply what I call selective thinking. Selective thinking means to select the thoughts you think. That means you don't think any thought that comes into the mind. Normally people just think whatever thought that comes into the mind. That is the wrong way. We should learn to choose our thinking. 
that we should not be thinking bad thoughts, which are emotional thoughts. We should learn to think calming thoughts instead of emotional thoughts. That is the beginning of meditation. Now, I have uh, already written two books on meditation, small booklets. So if you read those booklets, you'll begin to understand what meditation is. And uh, a third book is also coming, but the normal uh, lay followers can mainly practice the first book. This is what is important. The second level is for higher meditators, and the third book will be even going beyond that level. So these are three levels in meditation. So if you read the first book, that is enough for the normal lay life. Meditation is not trying to concentrate on something. That is all wrong meditation. Meditation is not concentration. Meditation is choosing the thoughts you think. That is the meaning of meditation. You are not thinking any thought that comes into the mind. You must think only the good thoughts, which are calming thoughts, not emotional thoughts. And that has to be done not in a seated position or special posture. Every moment in your life, you should be watching your mind and thinking only good thoughts. So it can be done standing or walking or seating or lying down or whatever. It's always, every moment it has to be done. Yeah. I think uh, today we have learned a lot on, uh, from uh, various topics, from uh, karma, rebirth, Sunday school, meditation. And I think all of us learn a lot. Uh, can we say uh, three times sadhu to uh, Bhante? Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Can we bow three times? As a token of appreciation, uh, uh, Sudama would like to give a small token of appreciation to Bhante Punaji for his uh, traveling uh, expenses. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Transferring some Transferring some Bhante will do transferring some Okay, now uh, we are going to end uh, our discussion and uh, we have this custom of sharing the merits with all the departed relatives, all devas and all beings. We recite it in this way. Idang me nyati nang hotu Sukita hontu nyatayo Idang me nyati nang hotu Sukita hontu nyatayo Idang me nyati nang hotu Sukita hontu nyatayo Etta vata cha amhehi 
సంపతం పుణ్య సంపదం సభ్యే దేవా అనుమోదంతు సభ్యే భూత అనుమోదంతు సభ్యే సత్త అనుమోదంతు సభ్య సంపత్తి సిద్ధియ మే త్రూ ద పవర్ ఆఫ్ ఆల్ ద మెరిట్స్ దట్ యూ హ్యావ్ గెయిన్ మే ఎవ్రీ వన్ ఆఫ్ యూ బి ఏబుల్ టు గెయిన్ ఫ్రీడమ్ from all sufferings of sansara and attain the highest and most supreme bliss of nirvana say sadhu sadhu bhavatu sabb mangalam rakkandu sabb devata sabb buddhanu bhavena sada sutte bhavantu te abhivadana silis నిచ్చం వద్దాపచాయిన్నోధమ్మాడ్డంతి ఆయు అన్నో సుఖం బలం ఆయురారోగ్య సంపత్తి సగ్గ సంపత్తి అతో నిబ్బాన సంపత్తి ఇమినా సమిజతూ